0: Um, census, census. Well, I have the census. article open. I have um, some fast facts about 1950, mm. and I had to check who was president in 1950. It was Harry Truman. I added to the list Zoe I've Brian. Come on, that was you, wasn't it?
1: Don't give me that face. You had to Google who was in president in 1950.
0: You would have just known off the top of your head.
1: Yeah. I would have picked Eisenhower.
0: Hmm. Thank well, you, Clive, for your support.
1: He's a little later. We'll get into that.
2: Fool's Russian. It's the Limbaugh Podcast Show. With Brian, Christine, Clay, you know. And guess who drop on by. Oh.
0: Limbaugh, the show where we talk about the Presidential Medal of Freedom, who's received it, who should receive it, and maybe a few who shouldn't. I'm Christine Sear.
1: I'm Clay Russell. And I'm Academy Award winner Jessica Chastain.
0: Mm, I knew we were Okay, we have to talk about (laughs) the Oscars. She looked gorgeous. It was, I know we all, so full disclosure listeners, the three of us watched the Oscars together and so I got to be in the room. Not only Clay has been
3: in my house, guys.
0: Yes. So I can't also, believe it. That was a first. <laughs> Very important. It's a
3: behind-the-scenes Limbaugh joke that I've known Brian for maybe four years at this point, and have never been invited to hang out at his house before. <laughs> so it was a big moment for me. And listeners, let me tell you, that night did not disappoint. It was quite I'll a I'll never doozy. forget that night. I know.
0: So Jessica Chastain wins. We're thrilled. Uh, We were thrilled about some of the other awards as well. Less happy about maybe original song. We kind of assumed what the best picture winner was going to be. And it's nice. It's a bunch of nice people and they made a nice movie. But yeah, I don't know that we thought it was like groundbreaking cinema. Definitely a formulaic plot.
1: I'm sure that it's a limitation of availability for projects, but... Like every, I would say maybe like five to six years, Marley Matlin just shows up. She gives us everything Crushes that we it. want from her, and then she goes away. But like whenever I see her, I'm happy. Like West Wing, she did like a three episode arc on Desperate Housewives. Like she never disappoints. No. And yeah. my only sadness is that Coda's momentum didn't pick up sooner. And she did knock Judy Dench out of Best Supporting Actress. I'm not saying she would have won, but I, I want her to get as many Oscar nominations as she can get.
0: Well, yeah, and she was such a delight, both on the red carpet and at the ceremony. She was so clearly thrilled for her co-star when he won Best Supporting Actor. Troy
3: Koster, like, well-deserved.
0: Yes. And so, yeah, big fans of Marley. Um, and, I'm you know, I hope she goes back to her, like... Gorgeous 1950s mid century gorgeous home in California and emerges every five years to make us happy.
3: You know, I think a lot of people were like, Oh, is this like Crash or Green Book or whatever? And it's not. Mm, no. no, like those are very formulaic plots. This, despite it having a formulaic plot, I guarantee you most people had never seen an honest depiction of a family of hearing impaired people. And it was a, a, look into a life that not a lot of us are familiar with. And it definitely made a, a fascinating story despite the plot.
1: Yeah. Also I remember when green book won. somebody asked Mahershala Ali on the lead up to his second Oscar for that movie. um, essentially this is not how they phrased it but they they basically asked him like aren't you embarrassed to be in this movie where you are partnered with Vigo Mortensen, who's just playing this like racist person. And you have to go along literally for the ride because you need to get from place to place. And Mahershala Ali looked this person dead in the face and said, no, when I got this script, the first thing that I noticed is it's the most lines I've ever had in a movie. And he's like, I had to take this job because wow. it's the first time that I've ever been given a role of this size and this scope. I don't think that Troy Kotzer or Marley Matlin were ever asked that. I don't think anyone ever thought, why would they take this movie? To me, it's just the subject matter while definitely kind of an elevated made for TV movie um, is well-developed enough that no one is going to be embarrassed that they were involved in that film.
0: Yeah. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: So it was, it was perfectly nice.
3: And Uh, the performances are absolutely incredible. You cannot deny that. I think that, that, Troy Koster absolutely breaks your heart in a couple of those scenes.
1: Plus, I also love like as an Oscar trivia nerd that like this is the first time since 1932 when Grand Hotel won that a movie has won Best Picture and no technical awards. Like mm-hmm. that That's the best.
0: That's a fun fact. I didn't know that.
1: And Power of the Dog is the first movie since The Graduate to win Best Director and nothing else. So, I mean, it was truly
3: a history making night. I will say this. It did not. Deserve the Academy Award for Best Writing with an Adapted Screenplay. That, no. (laughs) I will say that.
0: Are we talking about Coda? Yes. Oh, okay.
1: Oh, yeah, but Coda was going to win because. Paul Thomas Anderson, call, like, lost it for himself because he said that the Japanese thing doesn't bother him when uh, when he was asked about that, like, very racist performance that guy gives. And, mm. I, like, from that point on, I was like, oh, well, congratulations. You just lost <laughs> Dakota. <laughs> 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 Christine looks like I just slapped her in the face, (laughs) speaking of Oscar night.
0: (laughs) I know, I was going to say, I mean, we we can't not talk about it. Um, Of course, we don't personally have much to add to the actual slap discourse, which we're now on day five. By the time this episode comes out, we'll be on day eight or seven or eight. So it's more like we could have a a chat about the discourse maybe or or just about the fallout, um, which a lot of which probably remains to be seen. I'm trying to imagine if my husband was winning an award, uh, and I went with him, and it was some sort of professional banquet in a terrible ballroom at a Hilton somewhere, and the MC was like doing some roasts and like made fun of me for having scoliosis, and Dave walked up and and slapped the guy in the face. I'm trying to imagine what would have happened after that. Do you think he would have gone to the after party? with his award or do you think, uh, he'd probably have spent the night at the police station?
1: I mean, Dave is so charming. I think he's going to the after party, but I think think
3: a lesser husband would be on their (laughs) way to the pokey. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. I mean, it's so, yeah.
3: We were all texting about this the morning after. And I said, obviously everyone was in shock and that's why he wasn't asked to leave. It later turns out that the Academy did ask Will Smith to leave and he refused. So, I don't want to get into the hot goss of this story, but exactly, yeah. Just I, for
1: the record, though, there is conflicting reports. The producer of the Oscars did say that they did not ask him to leave because they thought that that would bring like more of a kerfuffle to it. So there are conflicting
3: reports whether or not he was Everyone's like just trying to, to cover their or ass, not. yeah.
1: But yeah,
3: yeah. Either way, I think that there is precedent against this in terms of performers, whether you are a comedian who tells a bad joke or even a congressman with a belief that you don't agree with. You should absolutely put the hammer down about any type of violence against any type of public speaker. Especially on a stage that was a room full of professional performers giving a standing ovation to someone who assaulted a performer on stage. So I get it. It was a shocking night, but I think that the Academy should absolutely go extreme in terms of the punishment.
0: Well, and it's weird because I I said this at some point on the podcast I don't remember who we were talking about, but I was like, the celebrities are not okay, and I feel like this is yet another example of the celebrities not being okay. I think shock was a component, but I also just think they, when there are cameras on them, they don't know how to, like, be people. Like, I I just think, like, a room full of showbiz professionals, and I know not everyone in that room is a celebrity, right? Like, some of these people winning technical awards we've never heard of, but they're used to probably deferring to... The on-camera mm-hmm. talent, and, and it just seemed like no one really knew how to... Like, when um, Jennifer Lawrence so charmingly tripped and fell going up to get her award... God, that was probably ten years ago, but I who knows?
1: Uh, almost exactly. <laughs>
0: so, like, I think Hugh Jackman like ran. <laughs> she ended up getting up and being fine, but like Hugh Jackman got out of his chair and like ran up to like make sure she was okay. And I feel like there have been times where like Betty White, like Chris Evans, like took her arm and like helped her up the stage, like. We've seen celebrities jump out of their chairs to, like, do something chivalrous to, like, help someone. And it's, I don't think I expected anyone to go tackle Will Smith. But it's kind of, like, weird that they were all just like, oh, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But, and I know Chris Rock, look, in the in the aftermath, there's been, like, eight, again, we're not going to get into it. There's been, like, eight layers of, like, backlash, 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 backlash. And the anti-Chris Rock camp is, like, digging up all of his history of, like, terrible off-color jokes, um, some of which are generally genuinely pretty bad, and it's just sort of like... I don't know... It doesn't matter.
3: Like, if you tell a shitty joke, you tell a shitty joke. You don't deserve to be assaulted on stage. And there's a reason why they're called influencers, and like it or not, the public is influenced by these celebrities, and if they see that celebrities think it's okay if you beat the shit out of somebody... Like, absolutely not. That's the thing that I'm more concerned about isn't how Chris Rock's left cheek is doing. It's more about what precedent that sets for society, because, again, like it or not, that's a highly influential stage that we saw on Sunday. And uh, I think the Academy should absolutely send a message loud and clear that that's not acceptable and really dole out a strict punishment to Will Smith.
0: Well, and the other thing is he's so famous, and I feel like he, like, at this point in his career, he does have these, like, languishing periods. You know, he'll go a couple years without being in a movie. And I remember last summer, this is another hat tip to Mr. Brian Tuft. Last summer, he did, like, a selfie on Instagram where he had, like, a little bit of a pooch. I certainly wouldn't call him fat. And he's like, you guys, I'm in the worst shape of my life. I was so delighted by that moment because I hadn't thought about Will Smith in a while. And I loved him. The Fresh Prince was like, first of all, an excellent show. And second of all, I just, I loved it. And I loved him. And I was like 14 when Independence Day came out. I was just like, he's the coolest like guy. And I've always, as weird as he's gotten in his um, middle age, I've I've always just kind of like liked him. I just liked him. He was a celebrity that I liked. And so for me, it was like, I don't know. It, it's just a reminder we don't actually know these people. <laughs> and I know he that sounds...
3: clearly has some issues. And to me, the
1: thing about this is, and we talked about this off mic, there's a lot of conversations about their characters and, like, respectability politics in the black community, and there's White people jumping in, like Judd Apatow, like, maybe take a breather. You've had a couple of glasses of champagne with Leslie at the Vanity Fair party. Maybe now's not the time to release the take. Yeah. Um. But the one thing that has struck, that just from that moment on, that all I can think about is when Regina Hall made that joke about nobody having seen... The Last Duel or Dark Water. It was it was a Ben Affleck movie. Like if the female gaffer on that film was like seated in that auditorium <laughs> and ran up and slapped Regina Hall in the face, <laughs> it would have been a completely different thing because Will Smith is so famous and so beloved and is just so um, imitated, l- larger than life. That mm-hmm. there's no. There's essentially there's no course of action for us to follow with this. It's like it would be like, you know, just to make it the opposite. If Ellen made a joke about Rita Wilson and Tom Hanks got up and slapped Ellen, like it's just like a thing where like you wouldn't know what to do because Tom Hanks is truly a movie star in every way. There's very few people who are at that level of fame. Uh, even in Hollywood, that Will Smith is at. And I think that that's that's the part that I can't wrap my mind around is, you know, obviously I can't speak to the racial component um, as a white person, but the thing that struck me was that this is somebody who is so powerful. And I mean, obviously Chris Rock has power in Hollywood as well, that like is not afforded to me. And that's the part that I just, I cannot compute. If I I slapped anybody anywhere, I would be asked to leave. I, I can tell you that. And never allowed back. I'm not allowed to go to the Applebee's on Northern Boulevard anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Those Dala margaritas will get Uh. (laughs) you.
0: One other thing I just wanted to say about it. So, again, the three of us were together, and like a lot of people who watched it live, you know, there was a lag where we were like, was that a bit? You know, did it start out as a bit, and then something happened? Did he actually slap him? I realized, like, we don't know what, like, a real slap looks like because we thought it was fake But it was 100% real and like Chris Rock wasn't expecting to be slapped and he actually like – sorry, I shouldn't do that with my mic. But he actually recoiled and since he recoiled like that, we're like, oh, that was him dodging the slap because it was fake. Or there was a part of our brains that was like probably just rejecting the idea that one of the most famous men in Hollywood just slapped somebody uh, for making a joke.
3: I mean Chris Rock also handled it like a pro. Like I'd say nine out of ten people would have grabbed their face.
0: Yeah, or like walked off the stage or like I would have cried. Hit like him back. As long as we're talking about like what we – I would have just started crying because, I, you know, <laughs> like I just – I would have already been nervous to be presenting. Mm-hmm. And then I make a few like not even particularly – like the joke he made immediately before – The G.I. Jane joke was like, if Javier Bardem wins and Penelope Cruz doesn't, like, is he really going to win? Because it's like his wife's going to be mad at him, guys. Like these like 1950s jokes. G.I. Jane came out in what, like the early 90s? Like these weren't cutting edge jokes.
1: To wrap this up, I will say, I think the worst thing, the 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 worst part of it for me is like the biggest Oscar nerd on the podcast is that the Academy Awards already felt less respectful or res- less respectable because of the way that ABC was like, you know, eight categories. We're not airing them, blah, 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 blah. We want to we want to talk about uh, Johnny Depp movies and Spider-Man uh, <laughs> while going to commercials. And then you have don't this forget the,
3: the speed force. Enterfield is the most memorable thing ever <laughs> in the history of cinema.
1: Ezra Miller, man, he's really in the news this week. We um, need to talk about Kevin. Was a documentary. Um, <laughs> then the other people that I feel bad for are like the cast and crew of King Richard, Angelou Ellis, who was nominated last uh, that night, last night. Like it's been a week, Brian the the Williams sisters. Like, there's just so many people. Beyonce, like, the idea that Beyonce never leaves the house, went to the Oscars and saw that. Like, I mean, the woman is suffering. She had to see Kanye interrupt Taylor Swift. Like, every time Beyonce goes to, an, every time she leaves the house, she's like, this is why.
0: Another man runs up on stage. <laughs> yeah.
1: Acts a fool, and Beyonce has to sit there and watch. Yeah. um So, anyway. yeah.
0: Good times. But it's
1: great, because now we can just look forward to next year's Oscars.
0: And there's going to be, like... Security. I don't know. It'll be really funny to see. Um, I'm also going to enjoy watching whoever hosts like struggle to be like, ha-ha, it's funny, right? We're having a good time. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we were saying that Chris Rock made a G.I. Jane joke, but what about G.I. Joe? Because there was a big, uh, ding, guys, ding, ding,
2: ding, ding, ding.
0: The hottest album in 72 years just dropped, which is the 1950 census data. Um, was released after the 72-year waiting period. This only happens once every 10 years. Uh, This guy who's the director of the National Genealogical Society said, quote, this is the Super Bowl and the Olympics combined. It's awesome Mm -hmm. stuff. So what this means is basically like the general picture of the 1950 census has been available to us, you know, like the population of the U.S. and like demographics and stuff. But this is literally... The entire treasure trove is online. It's like scans of the handwritten documents that all the census takers took in 1950. So you can like look up your uh, and it's searchable, which was apparently also a big deal. So you can like look up your um, in my case, you can look up how poorly butchered your last name was by the census takers and things of that nature. <laughs> Notably, 1950 was also the last year that they sent out these like impeccably dressed, according to the New York Times um, photos. Um, census takers to go house to house because the 1960 census was mostly done over um, the mail. And then I think they send out teams to like clean up after. So I don't know guys. I think that's pretty cool. This is a topic of discussion. Who was the president in 1950? Bam. Bam.
3: I don't know, Christine. Yeah, who is it? Who is Christine?
0: No. Contrary Is it Eisenhower? To what you might think. It was Harry <laughs> S. Truman.
3: Oh, the yeah. middle guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Like
0: we're sure. so back in the Wayback Machine, the presidential medal of freedom hasn't even started yet. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, JFK was still just like palling around Massachusetts with Jacqueline Bouvier. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, a couple of fast facts, though, about the 1950 in the United States. The population was uh, about 151 million people.
3: What is it now? Do you know?
0: I think we're in the upper 300s now. Hmm. And from 1940 to 1950, the population increased 14.5%, which is actually enormous. Don't forget, this is baby boom, right? Mm-hmm. An entire world. In
1: the article, it said 3.2 million babies had been born at that point Jesus. this year in 1950
0: well uh, they weren't very creative then in naming that generation could tell you that much also we only had 48 states guys alaska and hawaii had yet to be um involuntarily
1: i have a few that i'd like to get rid of let's i say we go back to 48 name names brian (laughs) come on oh you know
0: (laughs) um and do you want to know how many people were employed to take the census Ten, Brian. You're not even okay. Fine. Um, And boy,
3: were their legs tired at the end.
0: Over 142,000. I know. It's an army. And uh, Mm. I'm sure a lot of them
3: came from the army.
0: New York City was the um, largest urban population at 7.8 million, which is like weird because that's not that much smaller than it is now.
3: And the statistic is one in 10 Americans lived in New York.
1: Yes, they did.
0: Mm -hmm. Wow. Chicago was a distant second, 3.6 million.
1: I mean, it's the population can't change here that much. There's just not that much space. Yeah. We keep, they had already invented the skyscraper. Like
0: (laughs) anyway. Yeah. So it's pretty cool guys. If you want, I think it's on the national archives. If you go to the national archives and, uh, you know, you can be selfish and look up your family or you can just sort of poke around and, and see what's going on. But, uh, you know, the these statistical nerds that over at the National Geological Society, I promise you, they didn't sleep a wink last night. That's all I'm saying. Mm.
1: I will say the one thing I wish we could bring back from the 1950 census is that it was like apparently 37 questions. Like, I'm sorry, I just I don't think people are going to be excited when they get the 2020 census. And it's like six questions. Like, I want to know these. I, I want people to know us, you know,
3: assuming there is a
1: 72 years from yeah. now. That's that's a stretch. What was the last
3: song you listened to on your phone? That'll be a question that they they should add.
0: Mm, I like that one. Just to wrap up our little um, smattering of news. So we had to kind of, because we were so fixated on the Oscars, we had to kind of skip over it last week. But Madeline Albright passed away.
1: Which was a real slap in the (laughs) face to me.
0: People were getting slapped literally and metaphorically last week. (laughs) Um, She died at the age of 84. Notable Barack Obama medal recipient. And she has a few other uh, qualifications. First of all, her her entire childhood and and background is really interesting. And I'm sure at some point as we cycle through, we'll end up profiling her. And she is, I I don't remember if it was Brian or Clay who pointed out, like, you know, it's going to be good when someone's Wikipedia page has a controversies tab. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So we'll get there, but not now, someday in the future. But just to note, she was our first female secretary of state for Bill Clinton she was the second female U.N. ambassador also for the U.S., also for Clinton. Forbes started doing a 50 over 50 list in 2021 because I think they realized like the 30 under 30 is just like a list of famous and rich people's children. And she obviously she made the list. Uh, so she was able to squeak that in before her death. She has like several honorary degrees in addition to the actual Ph.D. that she got, uh, I think, from Columbia yeah controversial lady but uh but a trail trailblazer and a medal winner and so we just um another one another one goes off to the big metal uh ceremony in the sky all okay. right so when we come back brian is going to do his recipient profile of william walsh in the meantime don't forget to follow us at limbaugh podcast on twitter and we'll be back in a minute
1: April is upon us. We're recording this uh, for note on April 1st. And while I cannot help you as you were listening to this in the future, between the war in Ukraine, climate change, and the culture wars in many states launching against trans people, gay people, people of color, and well, pretty much anyone who's not a cisgendered white man, if you pulled a prank today, the only fool this April is you. But... Other than April Fool's Day, I feel like there's not a lot that we know about April. It doesn't have a well-known defining observance. Black History Month, Women's History Month, Asian, American, and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, and Gay Pride Month are all well-known as the months that bookend April. So I wondered, what is April's defining character? Because as we re-enter the era of trickle-down economics, shoulder pads, and an out-of-control virus spreading through the nation, the Reagan era, (laughs) I came to find out that... April is National Hope Month. Gentle reader, I did brace myself for impact that it would be some religious-driven, anti-choice movement, but it appears to be connected to the symbolism of spring, bringing rebirth and joy. This stood out to me because one of the names I clicked on out of Reagan's 86 medal picks, which is actually the third highest after Obama and Clinton, was William B. Walsh, the founder of Project Hope.
3: And I realized I had my man. I have to say that out of all the episodes we've done, this is by far the smallest Wikipedia page that we've seen. This is a pamphlet. It's crazy because I've never had more research in my
1: entire life. (laughs) (laughs) Walsh was born on April 26th, 1920 in Brooklyn, New York. Not much is known about his early life, but what is known is that he went on to study at my alma mater, St. John's University for his bachelor's degree and graduated from medical school at Georgetown in 1943 thanks to wartime abbreviated scopes of required study. (laughs) Gotta love that. He saw his opportunity and he got in there. Mm -hmm. His only postgraduate training was a mandatory one year internship that he performed at Long Island College Hospital. In college, uh, as the war was starting, he had joined the Navy in the reserves. After finishing up his residency, uh, he completed a three-week basic training, and Dr. Walsh joined a ship in late 1944. He actually joined a destroyer minesweeper bearing the number 454, which was named the Ellison. The ship uh, set sail from Boston Harbor, consisted of 13 officers and roughly 200 men, with only one doctor on board. Dr. Walsh, the ship spent its time off the coast of Japan sweeping for mines in the days leading up to what they were calling the Allies Invasion of Japan. During its time in Japan, the Ellison was labeled a lucky ship, enduring only one kamikaze attack, which resulted in very few casualties and very little damage. But the placement of the ship granted it only 30 minutes of coverage in the morning and 30 minutes of coverage at night, leaving it completely vulnerable uh, for airstrikes 23 hours a day.
3: Isn't that insane that there was a time when (laughs) if you were only hit by (laughs) one kamikaze plane, that was considered a good deal? Well, I I didn't want to get too bogged down into this, but, like, when they would leave the waters to go
1: refuel, other ships would take their place. Every one of those ships that took their place sank. (gasps) Wow. After the surrender of Japan, Dr. Walsh would uh, go on uh, to Japanese soil and would actually see caves near the uh, coast that were just filled with kamikaze planes that could have hit his ship at any time. So, like, he really, like saw his own uh, life and death. On August sixth, 1945, uh, Dr. Walsh and his officers and crew on the Ellison heard the news that the atomic bomb had been dropped on Hiroshima over the decoder. Dr. Walsh was then sent to Hiroshima in mid-October to gain information on the aftereffects of nuclear war. He went to the Hiroshima Hospital, which was still standing as it was a few miles from the blast site, and this would make him the first U.S. doctor to visit hiroshima and japan after the dropping of the atomic bomb um what he would have seen Dr. Walsh reported back that the hospital was clean and medical staff was working diligently and with extreme care, even though they had no supplies and were wrapping cuts and injuries with newspaper. There was nothing that could be done for these people, as most of the patients were dying as a result of radiation sickness. Dr. Walsh explored Hiroshima extensively and saw the destruction, the damage, the extreme loss of life, even remarking that people were dropping like flies, and also came face to face with the anger and sadness of the Japanese citizens firsthand. After the war, he returned to civilian life and began a practice as a cardiologist. Figure, you know, wartime hero, first person to explore radiation sickness. But Dr. Walsh was just getting started. In 1958, President Dwight D. Eisenhower called up Dr. Walsh after he had suffered a heart attack. Originally, Walsh acted as a consultant, but Eisenhower took a liking to him and asked him to become a co-chair of the Committee of Medicine and the Health uh, health professions of his people-to-people program, intending to assist developing nations. After receiving these appointments, which he took as a confirmation that I like Ike and Ike likes Dr. Walsh, (laughs) he used that goodwill to suggest the Hope, which would become the first peacetime hospital. Dr. Walsh led a successful effort to raise $750,000, which for those of you keeping score at home on your abacus, is $7.3 million in today's currency to refit a mothballed, gray-colored, 15,000-ton hospital ship loaned to the project by the U.S. Navy. In two years, it was turned into a gleaming white hospital of the seas with the word HOPE in black 15-foot letters on each side. On September 22, 1960, the ship left San Francisco for its first voyage to Indonesia. It went to the island of Sumbawa, where only two doctors were available to treat 250,000 people. Men, women, and children waited days and even weeks to get medical care from the Hope. In his 1964 book, Dr. Walsh wrote that he met a farmer who was suffering from a tumor that caused severe chest pain chronically. He received quick treatment, recovered almost immediately, and told Dr. Walsh, this is the first time in my memory that foreigners have come and not taken rice from us. You are here to help us, and we will not forget. From that year in 1960 until 1974, the ship carried doctors and nurses to South Vietnam, Ecuador, Guinea, Tanzania, Brazil, and other nations, becoming a symbol of American goodwill. Dr. Walsh was routinely on board, but was also steadfast in fundraising. He remained CEO and medical director of, the Pro- of Project Hope until 1992. In 1974, the ship was retired, and the program was relaunched from a single site to a global organization that now operates in dozens of countries. This allowed it to answer requests for help in landlocked places and launch an education program to train Native doctors, a Help Others Learn to Help Themselves approach that Dr. Walsh was passionate about. In addition to A Ship Called Hope, which I quoted him talking about the man that he met in Indonesia, he wrote two additional books, served on the Government Advisory Board, including the Presidential Commission on AIDS, president reagan's health advisory committee (laughs) and johnson's project vietnam which sent american doctors to south vietnam to treat civilians he received many awards most importantly the presidential medal of freedom from president ronald reagan in 1987 and dr walsh died in bethesda maryland in 1996 i did do a little bit of research just to see what project hope is up to today and you'll be happy to know that they are helping refugees in ukraine
2: (gasps)
0: oh my god Wow. So this is like, this was like Doctors Without Borders before, before Doctors Without Borders. Mm
1: -hmm. But at sea. It's like the love boat, but with doctors.
0: Semester at (laughs) sea. That's, that's amazing. Wow. And it sounds like he was like no drama because we don't know anything else about him.
3: Yeah. I don't know, guys. Did he deserve the medal?
0: (laughs) Sounds like he was kind of lazy.
1: The one thing that I will say is there's a great resource that we can put in the show notes that I got a lot of the information from about the wartime. I could have spent 45 minutes talking about his wartime service. And he spoke pretty freely up until 1992 that the dropping of the atomic bomb on Hiroshima saved his life. And it was something that he was very much... um, I wouldn't say, like, he was thrilled that it happened, but he he did not have that critical eye that we have now where we think about how this was an act of
3: war and it was uh, essentially we punished civilians for their government's actions. We do, though, I think that the the argument that they had, which I can certainly see, is that if the Allies invaded Japan, it would have been a bloodbath that would have lasted decades. And that's exactly what he said, was that mm-hmm. they had not
1: been out of the water in several, several months. A lot of the people were sick from scurvy and other kind of ship-borne illnesses. So they would not have, the 200 men on that ship would have died almost immediately. But that was the one thing was he'd obviously been very moved by what he had seen. And it kind of inspired him to take on this project and this passion and kind of become an ambassador of American goodwill, as I said. But it was very interesting how, and I mean, he did die in 1996, which is truly a lifetime ago. But in 1993, he still spoke very favorably about the dropping of the atomic bomb. So that was the one thing where I was like, and I mean, this is a read history Read the room, podcast. buddy. So when we, <laughs> when we do go back and read some of these people's statements and ideas and beliefs, we they are going to be outdated and we're not going to find ourselves believing with them. But considering I only hovered over his name because my mother's made name is Walsh. I was shocked to find out. And then the idea that he is a local person who I've never heard of, and the idea that I went to the same college as him, and he is not in the St. John's Hall of Fame, which features other luminaries like Ray Romano. Um, So (laughs) it's very interesting how this man has been all but forgotten to time. And I figured, you know, maybe like after 1974, the boat was retired and, you know, maybe things kind of sort of fell apart. But if anything, Project Hope is more widespread than ever. This wow. is
3: another one of these stories that I love that we have our podcast because this is an incredible movie that we just heard from Brian.
0: I know. We're going to have so many screenplays by the time we're done with this podcast, you guys. Yeah. We're going to take <laughs> up
1: all 10 slots on the blacklist next year.
0: We are. <laughs> and then the following year, we're going to win screenplay Oscar from Kenneth Branagh. And
3: is each of our screenplays going to end with a crescendo of a audition for music school where the family sneaks in and and the person sings to the family?
1: No, all of my screenplays end with the medal recipient dying and Jessica Chastain as Tammy Faye welcoming (laughs) them to heaven, singing Jesus keeps taking me higher and higher. Good, good. You
0: will never not talk about that song, will you? Oh, no. Incredible song, incredible
3: (laughs) scene, Everything. We got that stupid in performance. We couldn't get that. <laughs> oh, you thought that Queen recording Bohemian Rhapsody in the movie Bohemian Rhapsody was an incredible recording scene. Oh, watch the Jessica Chastain Jesus keeps on taking me higher and higher scene when she <laughs> fucks the producer while
1: pregnant.
2: That's
3: cinema, ladies and gentlemen. And
1: then takes pills with a Diet Coke. <laughs> <laughs> but to get my, my my children back on the lesson plan. Who do we think this person would be today?
3: God, I'm drawing a blank too, Christine.
2: <laughs> I think like he... who's an,
3: who's an angel out there that, yeah, but here's the thing though, about Walsh is he never did go for the spotlight and there are people out there just like him that don't care about the publicity, don't care about the news articles. That are doing incredible work, that maybe that's kind of a tribute to this person that we don't have a, an equivalent for today because that person is definitely out there. We just don't know about them because they're doing incredible work.
0: Good answer. And I
3: do think
1: about like all of the charities that we hear and we see all the time, like Habitat for Humanity. Like, I don't know who, who runs that. I know the Carters <laughs> are big on it, but for all I know, Christine started it. Yeah. Which would be amazing. I'm so proud of you.
0: So humble. You know, I I just, I don't like the spotlight. I don't want anyone to slap me on stage, so I'm going (laughs) to stay home.
1: But while doing my research, as I said, his uh, or as Clay pointed out, his Wikipedia page is, I think, maybe 12 lines tops.
2: Yeah,
0: Um, for
1: sure. (laughs) (laughs) It's very, very short. It's like he was born, he went to school, he
3: started this thing, and he died. There's not even a photo of him on his own Wikipedia page.
1: No, the, I had to find my own photo, uh, which is a wartime photo of him exploring Hiroshima. Uh, he only had one roll of film. Uh, he only had the ability to take 12 photos. And the film was so low quality that the photos are, I think they said they were about two by three inches. But modern technology has allowed them to be blown up uh, so that we can really kind of appreciate what uh, he saw on the ground. Yeah. But while doing my research, I did find... Um, A letter from somebody in the Eisenhower administration about setting up this project. So I feel like we should use that as our supplemental showdown. Mm -hmm. I did put a note in the Google Doc that I think that we should do this as a mid-century Washington bureaucrat uh, having an Aaron Sorkin style walk and talk through the halls of
3: the White House. Okay. I would now like to inform you that my own best estimate of the situation is recorded above, unless there are other considerations that must be taken into account, I find it difficult to recommend going ahead on the basis proposed unless we are assured by Project Hope Incorporated that this has as much as $3 million in hand, including bankable pledges before we commit our funds for refurbishing the HIP. It's in my opinion that if we decide to go ahead on the proposal, as it now stands at the very minimum, the Board of Directors of Project Hope Incorporated should meet, review the project, and confirm to the President, it is, as a body, is confident that it will be able to collect the 3 to $4 million necessary to... For for your convenience,
0: I attach a copy of the financial statement of hope. The part pertaining to the total cash deposits was certified with an insignificant discrepancy of $1,000 by one Theodore McGann and Company, accountants and auditors. As regards to the other parts, Dr. Walsh advises that the figures of corporate pledges and pledges of material in kind in lieu of dollar requirements in our planned budget have been submitted to us in good faith.
1: So again, solid week. I laughed, I cried, I actually felt the spirit of Bradley Whitford appear on Clay's screen. But I'm giving really? it to Christ- I'm giving it to Christine because she really she gave me the uh, mid Atlantic region accent that I was looking for in a '50s Washington bureaucrat. I won't complain
3: with that.
0: No one else can see it, but I was using a pen <laughs> as like a cigarette mm-hmm. to help me get in character.
3: Congratulations, Christine. You deserve it. Like, I could hear you,
1: like, slamming a uh, typewriter back as you, like... <laughs> <laughs> ah,
0: see? Yeah, like I was doing one of those. It was good. All right, William Walsh. I'm glad you're slightly less obscure because you seem mostly cool.
3: Yeah. A well-deserved medal.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Very, very
1: well-deserved and again, just as I was so so surprised to find something positive in the uh, Nixon White House, waiting for me right
3: there in the Reagan White House.
0: Mm, of all places.
3: And you're right. I would have been instantly cynical of, like, what type of crazy, just Nancy Reagan shit are we about ready to read about? I mean, when I heard, when
1: I when I saw the founder of Project Hope, I was like, oh, God.
3: oh no why am i feeling hopeless it's april the national month of hope is it like reagan's response to the glad organization or it's like (laughs) we're gonna call it hope and it's all about hating glad
0: yeah the acronym is like something horrible
1: homo's only potential extermination
2: (laughs) (laughs) yep that was
1: it (laughs) that was the original idea (laughs) Very excited, uh, as you said, to highlight these kind of great Americans and just, I guess, global citizens uh, that, you know, just don't get their shine. I mean, there's a lot of amazing people out there, but glad to kind of bring Dr. Walsh into the
3: spotlight this week. Excellent. When we come back, our medals of the week.
1: so our medals of the week hey this is my segment no it's yours
3: <laughs> jesus brian, christ you just brian for
0: 30 straight minutes
3: you just did the profile of the entire namesake of the show <laughs>
2: What the hell?
3: (laughs) I want to be the star. Uh, By the way, listeners, Brian is taking a big gulp (laughs) of his cocktail right now. Anyway, my segment is the medals of the week where we present awards to people that either do or don't deserve a medal based on what they have done recently. And mine goes to... Christine's motherland, Staten Island. They voted this afternoon to unionize their Amazon warehouse, which is a huge deal. Chin chin. So congratulations to the Staten Island workers. I think that the unionization of the United States labor force this decade is a huge story that we're going to be hearing more and more about. I have no issue with Amazon I think that they've been a very innovative retailer. I picked up an Amazon order yesterday from them. But I also think that with these massive companies and the power that they have, that there should be steps that the labor force takes to make sure that they are protected from these companies, uh, as you can see with the employees peeing in bottles and all these other awful stories that you hear about Amazon warehouse workers, that you do need to have some type of representation for these workers. I think that we have a future of massive corporations, and I think that we should also have a future of very powerful labor unions that uh, are able to get these employees the wages that they deserve and to try to lessen the inequality that we've had uh, become the hallmark of the 21st century in the United States. So congratulations to the workers in the Staten Island Amazon warehouse.
0: Also, I'm not sure if this was a real quote, but I saw it on Twitter that someone in the union or something was like, I'd like to thank Jeff Bezos for going to space because while he was up there, we organized a union. (laughs) I mean, that would ta- you take one quick trip to space and, you know, everything falls apart.
1: Yeah. Also, there was a union vote today as well, my sister told me, at Condé Nast, and they voted to unionize there as well. So I think you are correct. This episode is all about the Reagan era, and Reagan was instrumental in weakening the unions. His first act as president was pretty much dismantling the uh, air traffic controller union. Mm-hmm. And I think we are kind of turning the page on that, and I think... It's a shame the Alabama one didn't pass as well. Like, I think that that would be a stronger message. But, I mean... It might. uh, Yeah, it could happen. I think the idea that Amazon thought that they were going to waltz into New York, which is probably one of the most unionized cities in the United States, and thought maybe a second to Los Angeles, which you don't think about, but it's an industry town, boys. They had to have known this was coming, and the, the uh, i the q one report that they spent four point two million dollars trying to union bust lets me know that they they did in yeah. fact know that this was coming mm-hmm.
2: and you know
3: what like I think that the reason why many people shop at amazon isn 't necessarily uh, the uh, the prices it has more to do with uh, The speed that they deliver things, the approach that they have. And so, if I need to pay 75 cents more for toilet paper, I'm okay with that if people are actually being paid living wages and are being treated correctly.
1: Also, the other, I mean, we don't, this isn't an Amazon podcast. We're not doing Spawn for Amazon.
3: Sometimes I need to buy something. Pretty sure they won't think that with this segment. (laughs)
1: I just want to make sure. But sometimes (laughs) I need to buy a replacement knob for a dresser. And if you go to a store, they have eight, you go to Amazon, and there's 2000. Like, Uh I'm sorry, I just
3: I love variety. And again, you're willing to pay a little bit extra for that, because you're not necessarily there for the pricing, you're there for the selection and for the speed that they operate.
1: I mean, my Prime went up $20, and they were like, well, you know, we launched Amazon Studios. And I was like, if you're going to give me more Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, take my money. Mm -hmm. So if they're going to give people (laughs) basic worker rights, take more money. My Medal of the Week this week is Oscars-related, because as we talked about in our opening segment, this is the end of Oscar season for this year, and we are a year away from uh, my next opportunity to obsess over my favorite award show. But my Medal of the Week this week goes to Academy Award nominee and husband to Kirsten Dunst, Jesse Plemons. For those of you who did not watch um, the Oscars, shame on you. It's Hollywood's biggest night. But there was a little uh, aside where Amy Schumer was kind of showing people the different aspects that go into making the Oscars happen, and she talked about seat fillers. And she looked behind her, and she saw Kirsten Dunst, And jokingly, and Amy Schumer has confirmed that this was choreographed, she taps Kirsten on the shoulder and says, you're doing such a great job, sweetie. Thank you for filling this seat. I got it. And essentially throws Kirsten out of her seat and sits down next to Jesse Plemons. And Jesse Plemons pretends to be outraged so passionately and so authentically that BuzzFeed had to write an article essentially pointing out that people thought that this was real and that Amy Schumer, one, did not know who Kirsten Dunst was and had essentially, like, shamed her, like, that, like, you know, you're not as famous as you think you are, and I mistook you as a seed filler, which, no offense to seed fillers, you're doing amazing work, sweeties. But um, <laughs> there's a collection of, I would say, like, 10 to 12, but there's more if you search it on Twitter, deranged tweets. Where people are just like, Amy Schumer calling Kirsten Dunst a seed filler? Look at her filmography. Hashtag Oscars. This goes down as another chapter of how bad Hollywood has mistreated Kirsten Dunst. And as like the mayor of the Kirsten Dunst fan club, I just, I was shocked. I will say uh, before I'm an American, I'm a Kirsten Dunst fan, but (laughs) I really think that this is a step beyond. And the person who I'm not blaming, I'm celebrating for it. The idea that Jesse Plemons is such a good actor that people were not able to understand that this was a choreographed bit. Maybe it was the slap that, you know, had them all sorts of fucked up. But to me, it was just very funny. And when somebody sent me this article, I had a very, very good laugh. So here's to Jesse Plemons. Good luck next year with the Martin Scorsese movie. I hope to see you and Kiki all over the red carpet next season.
3: You do realize that there are going to be books written about this year's Oscars. It's going to be written about... There's going to be a 10-year anniversary to this. It's... Yeah, just... The amount of stories to come out of that night that we saw, I, I forgot which uh, which person authored the tweet, but someone said, you know, back in the day, there was a moon landing and we got the 2022 Oscars.
1: And you want to know something, Clay? The eyes is hmm. of Tammy Faye. They saw everything.
0: <laughs> All right. I guess that leaves me. I have, like, a weird synergy with Brian, so my medal is actually going to Amy Schumer. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) So I didn't know this until I was at Brian's Oscar party, but, like, I guess everybody hates Amy Schumer, or, like, a lot of people hate Amy Schumer. Like, I know we all got a little sick of her maybe six or seven years ago. I don't know. I loved her show, um, Inside Amy Schumer. I thought it was so funny. And I feel like it came out like right when it was like you would put your best skits on like YouTube and they would like circulate on the Internet and stuff. And it was just like, I don't know. And I loved Trainwreck. And then I don't really know what happened. But then like everyone started hating her. It's not like an Anne Hathaway level of like, I don't know why people hate her because I kind of get it. But she seemed to read The Room and she disappeared for a little while. And I know she had a child and did a documentary about it, but I don't care about Childbirth, so I didn't watch it. So when her new sitcom came out, I was like, oh, yeah, I'll give it a try, why not? And it's like completely delightful, and it's like darkly comedic, and she's funny in it, and she is actually like acting, and I feel like she can act, which is something that we maybe all slept on for a little while, or maybe it's her own fault for like sticking with comedy. And I just feel like I don't know. She's someone that I've sort of reevaluated in hindsight because I I don't know why. She became, like, everyone's favorite punching bag for a while. It's
3: the classic story of being a little bit overexposed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think
1: she is prone to have a bad take from time to time. And I think, unfortunately, in our clickbait-driven society, that the coverage of her was very much predicated on, you'll never believe what dumb shit Amy Schumer just said.
0: Like, oh, she's proud of being 10 pounds overweight but then she doesn't want to be called plus size. What a bitch. And I'm like, I, okay, yeah, I don't know. Like, I like guess. leave her alone. Right. <laughs> anyway, Life After Beth, I think it's on um Hulu. Hulu? Hulu. It's great. It's funny and weird, and um, I recommend it. But Amy Schumer, and again, she hosted the Oscars. And other than coming out in the Spider-Man costume, which was pretty cringe.
1: No, that was like pure Billy Crystal. I loved that part. <laughs> I want more of that. You did? When they all came out dressed as okay. like best picture. Like, you know, and she was like, oh, I wanted to come as Spider-Man. I get more of that.
0: I missed Tom Holland because I wanted to see him like I fucking Zendaya the entire night. Cause, sorry, Zendaya. Because she looked amazing, by the way.
1: That's okay. She had uh, Andrew Garfield. I
0: know. They had that cute <laughs> woman on the red carpet. But I think Tom Holland, we would have gotten a very good reaction shot from him when she came. He just, like, he's so... And I don't know if it's fake and I don't really care anymore. But, like, he just has that, like, aw shucks demeanor that I think. I think that would have mm-hmm. been... I would have loved to see him react. Anyway. I do,
3: to, to give Amy Schumer credit, uh, the most, I guess, not written in advance moment was when she did come out after the slap and was like, wow, the vibe has <laughs> really changed in this room. Did I miss something?
0: Weird. was going on? on?
3: Oh, boy. All right, guys.
0: Well, I guess that's yeah, it. Yeah,
3: we made it after oh. last week's limboskers, which we had no idea mm-hmm. it would be one to remember, but here we are.
0: We're like, we're so jealous of the people who know who won. Like, that was the most interesting (laughs) thing that was going to come out of it.
1: Clay, are you excited? You get to pick from the Herbert Walker Bush era.
3: Yes, that's right. That's right.
0: Looking
1: forward. Uh I think he has like 23. He really thought he was getting a second term. Mm -hmm. It's the economy, (laughs) stupid.
3: (laughs) Until
0: next week. See you guys. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.